Did you see their new car? Next How can they afford that? One item. What you did was so Sticks illegal. Stones don't break touch my, my stuff or I'll knock you Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Did you hear what happened the other night? What idiot fails that test? You're it. so dumb. You better play. Finders keepers, losers The Torah Guide to Common Questions and Difficult Situations Involving Interpersonal Relationships and Everyday Human Encounters. We've all been wronged by people at many points in our lives. From family to friends, spouses to co-workers, we interact with different personality types on a daily basis. Disagreements and misunderstandings are bound to occur. But sometimes these conflicts hit a nerve and are just too difficult to let go. That's when it becomes all too easy to develop a grudge. Grudges play an interesting role in our psyches. Sometimes we can't let go of our hurt feelings even though we want to. And other times, we're just not ready to let go. Either way, holding on to a grudge feels like a mental consolation prize. You were wronged, so now you get a grudge. It may sound a little backwards, but it's true. Holding a grudge is a way for us to subconsciously seek compassion and empathy as a means to compensate for the negative feelings we experienced in the past, which is why it can be so hard at times to let grudges go. The issue is, holding on to hurt and anger may generate some comforting sympathy in the moment. But grudges don't fix the root problem. They don't help us heal. Healing is never an easy process, but it's always worth the work. Holding on to negative feelings is not only bad for our mental state, but it can also actually affect our health. Taking revenge or having a grudge against someone is a clear prohibition in the Torah. Let's discuss for a moment exactly what kind of grudge we're talking about. When you feel you were wronged and you now harbor a negative feeling towards someone for that, that is bearing a grudge. Most obviously, this leads to getting them back by not lending them something in return or not greeting them like you would normally would. The Torah prohibition against holding a grudge also extends to doing something begrudgingly meaning you still do the right thing, but feel negatively towards the person while doing it. Simple example. Say you ask a classmate to borrow $5. They turn you down, even though you know they have the $5 on them. A week later, that same person asks to borrow a pen, and you outright refuse. Payback, revenge, no way. That's bearing a grudge. But let's say you can't say no because you're scared. It'll start a whole fight and you're just not ready for that. So you lend them the pen. But all the while, you're murmuring to yourself, what an obnoxious person. That would still be included in the Torah prohibition against bearing a grudge. Of course, not included in this is collecting a debt owed to you or having something returned that you lent out. Also excluded from the prohibition is refraining from lending something out or being cautious of someone who you feel is unsafe or will likely not have the thing returned to you. Bearing a grudge is only when someone wrongfully does something to you and you harbor that negative feeling back to them. Well, how do we get rid of a negative feeling? An easy answer would be similar to like we discussed with judging favorably. 
Try to find a plausible reason why they may have done or said something to you against you, against your liking, and how it could be viewed differently. Typically, it is our judgmental side that jumps to obvious conclusions, and like we mentioned, we almost want to feel negatively because it's like some sort of consolation on our being hurt or offended. Now that we understand how it's an unhealthy remedy, we are better off having that inner dialogue with ourselves. What could be a possible explanation for their refusal? Maybe they were tight on cash, even though they appear to have plenty. Maybe they're trying to budget and too much money was lost uh, lending out to people who didn't pay them back. Maybe they were just stressed out or unfocused at the time and didn't really process what we were asking of them. There could be a hundred plausible reasons why someone did or didn't do something for us. And if we get accustomed to finding those possibilities and pinning them to these circumstances, we'll effectively dismiss so much of the negativity we experience through our daily encounters. Similar to hatred, you don't need to be cushy-cushy with everyone you know. If someone has annoying tendencies or is a bad influence on you, you can, esta- you, you can establish appropriate distance. But be extra cautious that the distance is for the right reasons and not because you're maintaining a grudge or building a hatred against them. Sometimes, believe it or not, it is appropriate to hold a grudge against someone and sometimes even to take revenge. So far, what we were discussing is when it revolves around the monetary issue. Someone refused you something, you still have to take action in dismissing your ill ill feelings enough to be able to treat them as if they were anybody else and return the favor or help to them. But let's say you were verbally or physically offended by someone. Are you supposed to just let it go and allow yourself to be pushed around? Could it be that the Torah is asking us to be so forgiving that even when we are offended, we should practice letting it go? Would that mean effectively encouraging bullying? Absolutely not. If you are the victim of verbal abuse, you are not expected to let it go. There you could hold a grudge until justice is exacted. Allowing bullies to reign free is counterproactive and certainly not encouraged. Standing up for yourself and even bringing down someone who has a reputation for abusing other people may even fall on you as a responsibility to save others from similar attacks. Therefore, if you are certain that there's a constructive purpose to bringing down a bully, sometimes even publicly humiliating him, which, by the way, is typically viewed as tantamount to murder, humiliating someone in public. In this case, it would in fact be your public duty to do so if, and only if, you could do so without rage or hatred or any other emotionally charged reaction. Furthermore, when we mention not paying back with similar bad will or revenge, that is only referring to, at a later point, from when it took place. In our example, a week later, right? You asked for $5. A week later, they asked to borrow a pen. But if you find yourself caught up in a fight, physical or or, or verbal, you're allowed to defend yourself and even fire back in self-defense. In the heat of the moment, you're permitted to protect yourself from harm and to protect your dignity. 
even to hit back in self-defense. But all the while, keeping in mind the negative effects of anger and hatred. It must be you're doing so to protect yourself physically and emotionally, or with intention of bringing down a known oppressor. Story goes of Sophie, the town gossip. Everywhere she went and anyone she spoke to, she had what to say about the rest of the neighborhood. This, of course, made her a greatly feared person because who knows what she's going to say about you to someone else. It also had a ripple effect and it became common practice around to talk about people negatively at social gatherings, anywhere you met people because of her. No one knew what to do about her or how to put an end to this trends that she had set. Until one day, someone had an idea while shopping in the local grocery. She was standing with a whole bunch of friends when she sees Sophie walk in from the other end of the store. She immediately loudly says to her friends, Did you see what Sophie was wearing last weekend? She looked like a frog in heels. I mean, how ridiculous was her top? And what was with that color? And they all burst out laughing. Of course, Sophie hears this and runs out of the store, doesn't know what to do with herself. Although typically, such a thing would be a terrible offensive slander, in our case, this would likely be the right course of action in order to set this woman straight. If it wasn't done out of hatred or revenge, rather to attempt to effectively display what it feels like to the perpetrator themselves being the recipient of such slander. Now, that's a very, very difficult and delicate, risky thing to actually put into practice. It should therefore, when possible, be discussed first with a qualified authority who understands the depth and breadth of the law. But once all conditions are met and the motives is one of concern for the public welfare and not simply to get back at bringing this person down, then revenge should be carried out with creative application, such as our case of staging a public gossip about the person within earshot to have them feel what it feels like to be gossiped about. Back to a regular case. When talking about a regular assault from a friend or a companion, although you're allowed to fight back in the heat of the moment, it is noteworthy that if you could bring yourself to a level and refrain from a counterattack, Although, even when being personally shamed or humiliated, if you could hold yourself back, you have, at that moment, the power of prayer on the level of a prophet. All of your sins are forgiven as well. And the reason for this is, despite allowing for natural human emotion to take its course in the heat of the moment, as we discussed, that you're allowed to defend yourself, even though we require you to still do it with sensibility, if you're able to rise above your instinctive reaction and allow the abuse to be hurled at you for the sake of not risking the peace you hold and you still hold yourself back, you've effectively demonstrated a superhuman ability and at that moment are granted the superhuman power of blessing. So again, despite being allowed to defend yourself and even to fight back when somebody is assaulting you, if you're able to hold yourself back and rise above and allow yourself to be offended and ashamed and humiliated in public and you don't say anything in return 
At that moment, you have the power of prayer and the level of a prophet. And anything you say, anything you wish for, anything you pray for, will 100% be um, fulfilled in its fullest sense. The reason for that is, once again, because you exhibited a superhuman ability to rise above your, your, even though it's allowed, your human instinctive reaction to deal with this person and to fight back, even when it's allowed, you rose above that, therefore you're given the superhuman ability um, of prayer to ask for and wish for anything that you ask for. Now, practicing doing this in a pleasant tone and for constructive purpose rather than out of impulse or rage will not only save you undue anxiety, over time this practice can even serve to eventually bring you closer to someone you initially viewed as your opponent, somehow finding compassion towards them and bringing society closer as a whole. Now, let's get geeky for a second to appreciate the negative effects carrying a grudge has on our health. And I read, Carrying a grudge can hurt your heart literally. A study from Emory University found that bitter people had higher blood pressure and were more likely to die from heart, heart disease than more forgiving people. This could be due to something called C-reactive protein, which has been linked to heart disease and stroke. When we experience negative feelings, which can be brought on by conflict, our bodies get ready to fight. Staying in that fight state for an extended period of time can increase the amount of C-reactive C protein in our bloodstreams, potentially increasing the likelihood of heart disease. On top of that, prolonged feelings of resentment can also negatively impact metabolism, immune response, and organ function. Those feelings also put you at higher risk of developing depression and anxiety. Ready to let your grudges go? Start by shifting your focus from who hurt you to what you actually feel. Try to separate your feelings from the person who caused them, from the person who caused them. Make the feelings of hurt, sadness, or anger your own, independent of another person. This will likely take time and a conscious effort to achieve, but keep at it. When you find yourself reliving the incident in your mind, don't dwell on the story or chain of events that took place. Just keep directing your mind back to the emotions that you feel. Eventually, your mind will recognize that those negative feelings no longer serve a purpose. Being unattached to another person, these feelings are just that. Feelings. Feelings, but not a grudge. When you no longer have a need for the grudge, your mind will oftentimes let it go on its own. Typically, the hardest part of moving past hurt feelings is being able to separate them from the person. But you can do it. You'll feel better mentally and physically once you do. That's the advice given from the study done on grudges at Emory University. I'd like to explore one, explore one other area before wrapping up today, and that is asking for forgiveness. We saw how negative anger, hatred, grudges could, could negatively affect our health. What is it about asking forgiveness that helps alleviate negative feelings? We are not Christian. We don't confess in a box to a man, and take on good deeds in order to repent. One of the unique parts of Judaism compared to other religions is it is, it is every man to himself. Meaning, we each have three primary responsibilities to bear in mind when navigating through our lives. Number one, 
we have responsibility to ourselves. Number two, we have responsibility to each other. And number three, we have responsibility to God. First and foremost, we have, we have to have self-respect. Value who we are as individuals and appreciate what we were given and what we are capable of accomplishing. Next is to our fellow man. Much of the laws we're discussing here in this podcast involves exactly that. What our responsibilities are to one another. And finally, it is our own personal relationship with God. Not through an intermediary, not through a rabbi, not through an angel. It's just you and God. And that is a very unique part of Judaism and our faith, the way that we practice. When we talk about repentance and forgiveness, we have to first divide between these relationships. Things between us and God, God could forgive us. Things that we did between us and ourselves, we can be forgiving to ourselves. But when it comes to things between us and other people, God can't forgive us and we can't forgive ourselves. We have to first seek forgiveness from the other people, from the people that we offended before atoning for the sin itself. Forgiveness and atonement are not the same thing. Forgiveness comes when we regret our actions and commit to rectify our behavior. Atonement, on the other hand, is the benefit God grants to someone who does a proper repentance. Now, back to our question. What does an apology do for our well-being? And even more perplexing, does God need our apologies? Imagine two kids fighting. One calls the other a name, and the other retaliates and scratches the offender's face. You, as a responsible adult, break up the fight, explain to the kids how we can work things out by talking, not just fighting, and then make each of them apologize to the other. What is it about an apology that we feel is so important to force kids to do? For worse, when someone doesn't apologize to us for something they've done to us, we hold it against our friends until they come and apologize to us. What is it about the apology that means so much to us? So I want to put it like this. An apology is the expression when a few criteria are met. One, we understand what we did was out of line and uncalled for. Number two, we feel bad about it. We actually regret what we did. Not only understand that it was out of line, but we regret it. And number three, we vow to not let it ever happen again. Once we go through these three steps, then we could go ahead and express a sincere apology. So what would it sound like? It would sound something like this. I really shouldn't have scratched you. It must have really burned and, and hurt you. And it must be so embarrassing to have it on your face. Next time I'll be more in control and I won't regret to aggressive behavior even if I feel you were wrong. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That kind of apology is sure to go a long way. You showed how you understand what you did was wrong. You sympathize with the negative effects of what you did. And you promise to not let it ever happen again. God gives us the opportunity to mend our ways. To think about what we did. Have remorse over the damage that it caused. 
and commit to refining ourselves and our behavior. When all of this is in place, the main person to benefit from the process is, of course, ourselves. God atones for the spiritual negative effects it leaves on us and the things that we did. When He sees we're truly sorry and growing from the experience, and our friends can easily find room to forgive us when they see we're truly sorry for what we did. When we say you can't hold a grudge against someone who refused you something, what if the person you are asking forgiveness from refuses forgiveness? Aren't they responsible to not hold a grudge and be more forgiving? Well, we can never talk for anyone else. All interpersonal laws deal with what is in our, our hands to do by ourselves. We can't ever expect anything from other people. It's a personal work on ourselves. Here, what we do have to try to do is appease the person we're asking forgiveness from and try to soften them up to have them forgive us. To show them how we feel bad for what we did and genuinely wish to make peace with them. As for ourselves, forgiving others, holding back forgiveness isn't necessarily holding a grudge. It is possible to be sincerely upset about something someone did to you and not feel like you can forgive them just yet. And that's totally acceptable. We don't have to be ready, and we don't have to be and we have to be honest with ourselves and what we're truly feeling. If someone badmouths us falsely just to give us a bad reputation, that's a serious offense. You're not required to just give them just forgive them right away. And even if the person feels terrible for what they did, they can never really repair the damage they caused. Finding it in ourselves to see past people's faults, to see past people's wrongdoings, allowing people to show remorse and accepting apologies when we feel they are sincere, being forgiving ourselves despite the damage someone may have caused us, are all positive ways to free up unwanted anxiety and tension from building inside of ourselves. If not for the peace between you and the other person, at least do it for your own health and well-being. And on top of it all, we have the promise of exceptional power when we find it in ourselves to let offenses pass and to be forgiving, to rise above our initial instinctive reaction and to be the better person, to be forgiving and foregoing on things, even if they truly and ne deeply negatively affected us in terrible ways. Now to sum up, Holding a grudge feels so good, but it's terrible for our health. The Torah does not allow us to hold a grudge against someone who wronged us in a monetary sense. It does allow us to hold a grudge against a verbal or physical offense, although someone who rises above them, even that is, even that is extremely praiseworthy. Protecting yourself and bringing down a known oppressor is allowed and encouraged, but great care and counsel when possible must be taken to make sure it's done correctly and with the purest intents. Forgiveness comes with a complete and thorough apology and should be granted when asked of us, all the while being real realistic with our true feelings and bringing ourselves to the point of honest and sincere forgiveness. These are some very difficult things to put into practice, but I think also very relevant. 
We all feel grudges. We all feel hatred. We all feel anger. We all feel certain negative feelings towards other people. But what good does it do us? How much could we allow ourselves to be the child and to allow ourselves to, to dwell in that comfortable feeling of anger, of hatred, of grudge? But all the studies that we mentioned clearly show how negatively it affects us and for our own good, for our own well-being. Why would we want that for ourselves? Let's be the better person. Let's rise above. Let's be worthy of the exceptional power that's granted to somebody who rises above his instinctive reaction and is able to be the bigger person, the better person, the forgiving person, and to be truly honest with ourselves in our feelings and to allow for forgiveness and to allow for the more happy, comfortable feelings from one person to the other, even if somebody intentionally damaged us and did us the wrong, we could be the better person to rise above even if we're allowed to fight back, to be the person who's not going to fight back and to bring peace into the world instead of argument and disagreement. Now next week we're going to deal with argument and disagreement specifically. Um, we know that the joke goes, you have two rabbis, there are three opinions. So what is it with Judaism and disagreement and arguments? Is there a positive side to arguments and disagreement? And if so, where and when is the application of that? So that's a very big topic, and hopefully we'll be able to do justice to it. I hope that I was clear in this last session. I feel like it was a little bit of a, a, a jumble to like get, get all the different elements in place, but I hope the summary and the overall um, podcast was, was uh, understandable. And um, just as a final update, uh, my wife is doing fantastic. Thank God she was home for Shabbat with the kids and uh, my mother-in-law, her mom was over, and uh, she did all the cooking and serving and pampered us. And it was a massive step in my wife's recovery to be able to be home with the children in her own, own house um, and functioning, functioning like a normal person once again. Um, there is one more week of rehab, so it's still a little bit of a crazy week for me and, of course, for her. But come the week after that, we shall be back to normal life, and I hope to get back to the podcast every week instead of every other or every three weeks.